Professor Tim Wilson is a shining example of what all we humans aspire to be. Equal parts uh, mad storyteller, quick wit, incredibly charming, and also extremely empathetic and caring. This, uh, this is part one, so don't miss next week's episode for the exciting conclusion of my chat with the amazing Tim. Professor Tim Wilson, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Greg. <laughs> it is my absolute pleasure to have you. So I want to tell you really quickly. Uh, how, did you come, how did you come across I, Exactly you, where I was going. You're, uh, you're, you're a mind reader, which is uh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, your, your amazing <laughs> intuitions. So I, um, I watch not a lot of television, but the television I do watch happens to be British TV. I'm uh, really? yeah, I'm bored. I'm absolutely bored to tears oh with American goodness. TV. Are you, are, you a, are you a Doctor Who fan? Um, I used to be. Yeah, so I used to do a lot more. Right, in the days of Tom, 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 um, Tom, Tom thing of me. Well, I was more on the reboot stuff. So, oh yeah. really? Yeah, oh, I, I find the reboot rather rather distressing in some ways. But I, uh, I, I, I'm, 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 I, I sort of, I have a nodding acquaintance with Russell T Davies, and I feel I should be supportive of him. Mm. Um, and uh, he and I were both at university in Oxford at the same time, so I don't remember meeting him then. But um, but but I was in and out of his college. I was tutored in his college at one point by a very strange man who looked like um, Rasputin, and he he used to sit on the floor, and I used to have to sit in an armchair. And it's very intimidating when you're looking down at your tutor. Um, I think it'd be even more intimidating if you were a girl. And he did eventually have an affair with a with a with a girl, who I think had her tutorials just before me or just after me. And my tutorials got shorter and shorter as a result. I, I think his liaison <laughs> got more and more entertaining uh, than um, than my than, than, than clearly my essays about um, patristics. But um, <laughs> yeah. So I found right. you. So that was my experience of going into Russell T. Davis's yeah. um, college. I, you know, you may not have remembered him, but I guarantee if you ever came across you, he remembers you. So I wouldn't worry about Ooh. that. Oh, Russell. Yeah. No, 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 no. We, 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 we exchange messages. Um, and, uh, and he's just produced a really good show called It's a Sin, which is, uh, which is great. So I had sentimental note. I about saw that. that come out. I haven't watched it yet though. It's, it's so good. It's slightly harrowing, but it's, it's beautifully, you know, to deal with serious subjects with, um, a sort of legendemain with a, with a sort of lightness of touch. Um, it's what we all aspire to yeah. do. It looked a bit um, heavy, so I was just, I was waiting, it's really, I was kind of girding my loins really, before I watched it. Really not. It's really not heavy. Okay. That, that's the extraordinary thing about it. It's, it's light, um, but it deals with heavy themes. And uh, this, I think, is one of the things, and one of the reasons why I hate the SAT exact, uh, sort of test. Um, the, the SAT tests in the, in the states, uh, because they seem to think that the that the um, the mark of being clever is that you can dissect a sort of polysyllabic word. Um, <clears throat> the mark of being clever is to be able to present something which is polysyllabic in words of one syllable, um, to, pre to be able to present a complex situation um, as entertainment and as simple. Mm. Um, and uh, certainly that's what I would try and do. I, 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 and, and also not to, not to poo-poo the ordinary. The ordinary is, um, is what will continue. The extraordinary will disappear, I'm afraid. Uh, but the ordinary 
you know, today's skid marks are tomorrow's history. Um, <laughs> it's uh, sorry to return to the scatological theme. Um, <laughs> But 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 if, if, if you think this is you go up to Hadrian's Wall and you're you're you're, you're examining somebody's poo, um, or or or, or, or you're in Pompeii, um, you, you know the things that we the things that we don't consider important. These are these are the things that define us actually, um, and 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 so that is that I'm afraid is um, is ephemeral television, like. Like like reality TV, which I which I sort of turned my nose up for years at, and um, you know I wouldn't be seen dead watching Big Brother now. I'm now now I see it as my moral duty. <laughs> well, you know you were talking about simple things, um, and that's probably one of the things I really enjoy about watching British television is that your simple things are foreign to me. They're exotic, you know, but at the same time comforting, right? To see uh, the routine and the yeah. differences and. I love to see the how routine, you guys do things. That's it. It's the routine and the differences. Uh, precisely. Yeah, it fascinates me. Precisely. Something else you talked about was um, explaining concept topics in simple terms. I love that. So in my other life, I'm, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a sales engineer for a technical company. So I... Oh my goodness, which... What, 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 what sort of technical things do you do? Uh, so I work for a company called Red Hat and I do automation. Mm -hmm. So there we are. So what I do is I, uh, I bridge the gap. They call um, folks like me. They call them uh, unicorns. We are extremely technical, but we can still talk to normal humans in a in a, in yeah, a normal yeah, way yeah, exactly. and take complex concepts and and break them down. And honestly, I think in pictures. Like I always like envision things in images, and so that's what I do. I just take complex well, concepts. You and know, make a picture. We're actually in my office, and there's pictures everywhere. Pictures of scribbles, literally on every every bit of wall space. I think um, that, that's how I think too. Yeah, but I think that's a yeah. that's um a rare ability is to take something complex and actually make it digestible for just you know mere humans. Yeah, but I but I I wish people would do that when they before they pack things up in boxes, uh, you know, so that when you unpack, you have no idea what they are, uh, and so much so so much of that rubbish is legal anyway. <laughs> Uh, and and people don't make a distinction between explanation and legal legal protection, um, and you get the whole lot all all, all in one spiel, mm. and it's incomprehensible. And then it's often not written in a language you know, and it's translated. And translators, as we know, are all traitors. <laughs> translators are traitors. I like that. Yeah, I think I think I think Dante said that, or somebody said that about Dante. Definitely. Mm. Uh, translatory, traditory. That's fascinating. So. Um, to go back to where I met you, well, I mean, I didn't really yep. meet you. I guess I was introduced. Well, I felt like I, to be honest with you, I felt like I met your spirit, you know, the 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 part yeah. of you that. So anyway, we watch a lot of British television. My wife stumbled on The Circle season two, and she's watching that. Uh, and I'm kind of in between. So right, like in this um, pandemic we find ourselves in, I work from home. And so I'm, yeah. you know, in between the kitchen and whatnot. And so I catch a little bit of this and I see this, this fellow on there, this rakishly handsome, um, middle-aged man on there, amazing beard, uh, huge cat. And you have <laughs> this spirit and this charm. It is magnetic. So 
the first time I heard you laugh, I said out loud to my wife, I said, I need to talk to this guy. And I don't know, putting it out into the world, it manifested into reality. And we are maybe like two or three weeks later and I'm talking to you. But you just have this charm, this charisma. You know what else really drew me to you was whenever you would make a new discovery or you'd make a hypothesis and it would ring true, you would have this childlike glee about you that was just really? undeniable. And I loved it. And I thought I need... I need to get this guy in my life somehow. I need to talk to this guy. It's amazing. But it, I, 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 I think that is me. Um, there was a point in the show when I, th I, th I think you begin a show like that and you sort of, you know what's expected of you and you've got to be sort of you. And um, you in front of the camera and you sort of pretend to be you. <laughs> and there was a point when I had a, when, when I had a sort of spat with Richard May, Maidley, who was a television personality, mm -hmm. and he was pretending actually to be Judy, and Judy is his wife, who's just lovely. I eventually got a hug from Judy, which, you know, that's everybody, everybody's wish to be hugged by Judy, and uh, and by Richard, and um, and Richard was horrible in the show, <laughs> really horrible, and he was he was being persuaded to be involved in this very very nasty practical joke, a a a, a Venus Fass. Um, like, 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 you know, you know, when you watch uh, Mozart's opera Cosi Fan Tutti, I am always told I pronounce that wrongly, by the way. Um, and um, and I've directed it, so I so I, I perpetuated the wrong pronunciation. <laughs> um, uh, but it should be all women, not all. And, and I, 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 I come quite close to saying all men, and it's, it's wrong. Um, but um, Cosi Fan Tutti, and whether where the women, where, where the men pretend to be each other's boyfriends and, um, and, and and to seduce each other's girlfriend. And they pretend to be Albanians. I've been to Albania. I, I, I know it in the, in the opera. They say uh, the only thing that is Albanian is they, they wear moustaches. So they, if you put on a fake moustache, you're looking Albanian. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and at the end, when they've managed to prove their girlfriends are unfaithful, then they manage to sort of wave a magic wand and everything is okay. It cannot be okay. Mm. Uh, that level of practical joke just cannot be sustained. People are hurt in a practical joke. I was hurt. I spent a day crying. Mm. And that experience sort of catapulted me into a sort of devil-may-care sort of um, belief, really, um, and from that point on, I found myself becoming me and being comfortable to be mm. me on television. And I was really comfortable. I felt utterly at home. I felt more at home there than I probably do in real life, hmm. being at home. Um, and I just felt, I felt liberated. Um, it was odd. You know, cameras everywhere is odd. Uh, and when I came off the show, I was sort of, waking up at three o'clock in the morning in hotels and singing uh, the, the entire book of the sound of music from beginning to end. Um, and just, uh, I got complaints um, because that's what I did in the show. You'd never saw that, but in the show I'd wake up and they wouldn't let me get up and they'd say, you have to remain in bed. <laughs> so I'd remain in bed until the lights came on. Mm. So during that two hours, while I was <laughs> in bed and not allowed to get up, I'd go through the entire, the, the, the an entire musical. That's crazy. From, First song through to last one. I did 33. 
and um, <laughs> and and I managed thirty three puns for Bay, um, which started with Baywatch, and it caught on so much that there was there was actually a person in the production company, I believe, whose job was to be on a camera to monitor where Bay was, and he was called the Baywatch the Bay man. Watcher. Uh, 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 after uh, after the first pun, I think hilarious, which was Baywatch. So, um, uh, you know, I was I was watching that, and I. Uh, I remember, so we haven't made it all the way through the season. Obviously, do, through doing some research, I know what it ended up. Oh, have, you, have you have you got to the end of the season yet? No, we are at episode oh, thirteen, I think. But I know what happens. Yes, I, no, no, no spoilers. No, no. I, I was going to say through the way, through I, the research, I already figured out yeah. kind of what happens. Um, right. I've only I've only seen to um, to episode four, I think. And okay. Then I fell asleep, but I I I kept I kept freeze framing because I. I wanted to draw pictures of various people. I drew a very nice picture of um, of Sai, who's an absolute angel. And you didn't you didn't get all my conversations with Sai, as they were lovely. They were a little bit niche. They were all about tractors and combine harvesters and <laughs> and, 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 and cow manure. Um, but because we've both been slightly brought up on farms, yeah. so uh, we understood each other. So when he wanted when, when when he was blocked or when I blocked him and he wanted to come and see me. I think production was rather confused by this because they hadn't they hadn't told that story. Mm. Um, but his big relationship in the in the circle was with me. <laughs> I think they wanted a big relationship to be with one of the girls, and um, uh, it, it, it wasn't. He wanted to check that I was real, and um, and I think the circle the only thing they could do then was say was going to say why did you block me? And I don't think he even managed to do that because we just got on so well. Yeah. And uh, and when I saw a little bit of playback and I saw him on the sofa and I believe he defends me to Richard Mabley, uh, Richard Madeley. Um, but when I saw him on the sofa, I just thought, you know, that man's comfortable and he'd be a really good guest at any at any time on television. He's just at home with himself. Hmm. You know, and, it's funny, uh, something I've noticed and and it seemed like it really was something you were looking for was shared experiences, like uh, finding things in common with folks. And I remember reading at one point that uh, like when people go on vacation, like if I'm an American and I go uh, overseas somewhere and I'm touring around at some point, if I meet other Americans, you'll end up forming this camaraderie, oh, yeah. right? It's like you try you and do. find these similarities. I and mean, I think that's just kind of in our human nature, right? It's yeah. like trying to find familiarity because there's comfort there. And, but I mean, uh, sadly, when you're traveling around, you often you you often bond with people who are quite inappropriate simply because you have a common language. Right. Um, you know, I can think of so many people that I became friends with when I was living in Greece and in Russia, who you know really I should have steered I should have steered well clear of them. But I think um, you could see that unfold in the show, right? Folks trying to find common ground, right? To you know, they're they're yes. out there on an island, and you wanna you wanna tether yourself to something. Yes. It's true, but you can find common con ground with anybody, really. And um, uh, I, I think I think there's more than that. I was sold the show as a show that celebrated friendship, hmm. uh, and then I was told it was all about popularity. I thought, well, that's not so different. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't think I got. <laughs> I don't think I ever quite reconciled myself to the idea that it was a sort of uh, it was a proto proto survivor show and it was all about what would you do to win the ten hundred thousand pounds well nothing frankly and uh, i remember when we got towards the end of the show they kept asking what would you do with the ten with the hundred thousand pounds I said, well, nothing i mean if i 
I won it, I wouldn't keep it very long. My partner would probably spend it. I, I, I have no <laughs> idea. I'm not interested. Um, and that remains the case. I mean, it's probably why I'm as poor as a church mouse because I don't have that. I don't have that great interest. Mm. Um, Money's not a I big motivator for me either. No, I, 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 in some ways it's a motivator for me because the sort of projects I want to do cost money, but the projects I want to do are never going to make me money. Mm. Um, you know, I want to do animated opera. I want to do, I, I, I want to do a documentary about Edward Lear. Um, I want to, <laughs> I want to go on, I want to go on stage in the West End and in Broadway. I want to, but none of that's going to make me any money. I mean, you know, really, my, my primary objective at the moment ought to be to, to want to do lots of, lots of television presenting. Um, I'm happy to do that, but it, it's not, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't kill I wouldn't kill somebody for that. I would I, I would seriously consider daggers at dawn if somebody if if somebody dangled a West End role in front of me. Tevier, you know. If I were a rich man, uh, how wonderful that would be. Or Zorba <laughs> Zorba by Candor and Ebb. Great, 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 great. Or I'd even do Panto. I'd love to do Panto. Would you? You don't have you don't have panto in the states. Uh, I know you're missing something. It's one of the things that Frankie Julie Andrews should have brought it with her when she came over, um, but she didn't. I don't understand how she managed to miss that one. Andrea Lansbury could have brought it over. There we are. <laughs> do you think that would um, do you think that would kind of emotionally feed you doing the television presenting thing? Because you'd still be you'd still be seen. You'd still be entertaining and performing. You... I I I I'd, I'd love it. I mean I. I'd thought for a long time that that uh, performance was not my was no longer my thing. I thought that I'd move behind the camera, partly because, you know, I have a partner who, who who was a torture victim, mm. and it's very difficult to be a performer because you're pulling, you're pulling focus all the time, and you then become the one who needs the support, and that's difficult. Um, but I think you know we've been together twenty odd years. And uh, and he survived just about my time in the in the circle. So maybe it is time. Maybe it is time. And I and and I I'd forgotten how much I feel alive in front of an audience. Well, you know, I I looked at your history. So if you if you oh, really? if you read your LinkedIn profile, just for example, it reads like a career criminal's rap sheet. You have done. So <laughs> much stuff like and really? I, I've noticed that it's a lot of it is education. And when you really I yeah, think boil it, down education, there's kind of a, a couple of things. But one is it's very performative, right? You're in front of people yeah. and you're, you know, these young minds, you're you're giving them information. And then every so often you'll see this light bulb spark, you know, and that's yeah. to me, that's yeah, the equivalent yeah. of doing a live performance and getting the applause. Right, it's... It, 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 it is performance, and, that, and, and that's the point. And um, and I think education increasingly is moving away from that. Um, it's not it's not a very safe form of education, and most people can't do it, and most people fail in that. So it's not being encouraged. And um, I've been teaching teachers how to teach, mm. and it's wonderful to be able to pass on those skills, particularly to teachers who are teaching in primary school. Um, I've been doing that in Russia, um, and you know you have it. You have a whole box of tricks, um, 
and I can give people that box of tricks and I can make it work. Um, but when you go when you go beyond that, my my my, my big thing is uh, I'm really interested in text and sort of research. You would say research. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just emphasis. But, uh, um, but, but, but yeah, I'm really interested in research and I'm really interested in sort of defending your point of view and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think modern teaching is about imparting uh, little bits of information. And I'm not so keen on that. And I'm also, um, I, I'm, I'm worried about the modern formula of teaching. Um, much of it came from my university, so from uh, Vygotsky. Um, so, you know, I, I, I feel I'm involved in it, um, but I don't like teacher training as it manifests in many countries. And I don't like the product. I think it's, I think it's very formulaic. And if I were a student today in a school, I'd be bored out of my mind and I wouldn't get anywhere. I think, you know, when you, and, and obviously I, I'm not uh, well-versed on this stuff, but when you say give small bits of information, I kind of, I kind of like that sometimes whenever I'm doing a project, I want the Cliff's Notes. I don't want you to give me, it's not like for me, um, when I'm doing something, I don't want it to be like baking where you have a very formulaic method you follow to complete everything. Exactly. I like to fill in the blanks exactly. myself. I like to do the discoveries. I like to yep. and, have the high and, 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 and So, yeah, you, you want to, you want, you, you want to teach pupils the nuts and bolts about how to do something mm. and then give them a project to actually do it. Yeah. Um, rather than this is what you've got to learn. Um, and let's go through the illusion of, um, of, of experience. Let's flatter you into thinking that you are, you are discovering this yourself through your own experience. They're not, this is all a lie. And I don't like that sort of deceit. Um, yes, I want you to have the experience in order to have the experience. I will tell you how you, how you bake a cake. Now go off here, here, here's many ingredients as you possibly want. Go and bake something spectacular because you now have the tools to do that. Um, and the same thing with writing an essay. This is how you write an essay. There are rules. Let me teach you those rules. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't, you're, you're wasting your time if you write something and I say, that's lovely, darling. Um, and, and keep chipping at it. So much easier. Give you the rules. And now, you know, go and make it work. Yeah. I like uh, present something which, which is really interesting. I like uh, the, the idea of telling people, here's all the ingredients. You're going to fail a whole bunch. But you're going to learn along the way, and come back to me when you have something amazing. Yeah, yeah, but but uh, but I, I would still say there are some rules. For sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. There are some, <laughs> uh, and they're not about safety. They're about you know if you want to, if you want this to work well, this is the way I would do it. You may find there's a better way of doing it. In which case, show me. But this is the way that I would do it, and this is the way that is general. This works. Um, when you're looking at animation, which is the other half of my life, um, you know, you you analyze movement, and um, and that and there are just things that work, mm-hmm. and you can go back, you can reinvent the wheel, but actually, why bother? Because the wheel is a perfectly serviceable tool, um, 
And if you don't follow the rules that work and that were invented in a very short space of time, by the way, they were discovered in the end of the 1930s by the Disney studio. And they've never been bettered. Never been bettered. Um, now, you might, you, you know, I, I would hope that I've introduced or that I'm in the process of introducing one new uh, facial expression. Um, but that's as much as I can possibly hope to do. Um, I, I can tinker with the with the presentation. Um, but if it comes to making a character walk, there is only one way of doing it. Uh, and you analyze, you know, that the, the, the passing position and the and, and, and the point of contact. Um, you, you can put the leg in all manner of positions as long as you're consistent. You can move the camera around if you're clever. Um, but you have to follow the rules. I've, there are rules. I've watched several of your um, your animations on YouTube. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Why do you act so surprised at everything? Uh, you're a very interesting well, guy. Why I, wouldn't somebody want to do a little a little bit of in depth research I, on you? I'm not. I'm not used to being the subject of research. I, <laughs> oh, well, but thank, thank you very much. Yeah, for sure. So I've watched several of your your animations, and a lot of them. Well, actually, all of the ones I've watched surround education. So it's mostly you giving a lecture yeah. or your deep kind of thoughts on yeah. something. And then the animation is supplemental. And I really like that because, you know, a lot of people yeah. learn in different ways, absorb information in different ways. And um, I think you did one on, and I'm going to butcher this. Was it Plato's cave? Is that? Oh God. No, yeah. It's a long time ago. And yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah. And so I can still see the imagery of your animations. I may not be able to remember all the words, but I can still remember that. And so I can piece together the plot. And I, I thought that was such a great device. Like I loved how that carried, you know, what's so funny is everybody I've talked to when you distill it down, they're storytellers and I love an amazing That's storyteller exactly That's and exactly it. you do it better than just about anybody I've ever seen because for one, I have no idea what's going to come out of your mouth next. And uh, two, whenever it does come out, it's so charming that I can't wait for the next thing to come out. So. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of you Thank you just you. you kill me every I, time. I I I'm always worried that it's sort of that, that, that I'm going to lose the plot halfway through, and you're going to have a sort of you, you know when you're talking to somebody, you've always got that moment, and you, you you leave the conversation, particularly in these sort of things like sort of YouTube and podcasts and so on, um, and and you switch off and you think, well, that was okay. Oh no, I failed to finish this story. Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's the French have got a really nice expression for it. If I can remember it, it's a, it, it, it's called uh, l'esprit d'escalier, uh, and 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 you think, yeah, I'm never going to use this. I promise you, you'll be using this forever afterwards. It's the spirit of the stairs, l'esprit d'escalier, because uh, in in the French um, salon culture in the 18, late 18th century, early 19th century, the salons were on the first floor, you know, not the ground floor, the next floor up. So you have to go up a staircase. To get to the big salon where the where the where, where, where the ladies not not the horizontal ladies <laughs> but the ladies would be waiting, um, you, you know, uh, with with that frisson of delight, and uh, and you would then tell your student your your stories and you would be scintillating and gorgeous, and then as you leave, and you're going back down the staircase to the exit, you suddenly think, I wish I'd said. Uh, and Oscar Wilde famously said, oh, I wish I'd said blah, blah, blah. And his friend says, you will, Oscar, you will. <laughs> <laughs> if you're the author of your own 
history if you if you manage to write your own autobiography or memoir. Of course, you can you, you can fiddle around with l'esprit d'escalier, but um, but it, it's a lovely idea. It's a lovely idea. Mm, I think fantastic. You know, the things we forget, the things we sort of the half the half told stories, um, and 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 certainly when you. When, when you sort of get excited and you're telling a story, you suddenly, oh, I have to add this bit, and I have to add this bit. Mm-hmm. You suddenly got, you suddenly realize, oh, I've got a story inside a story inside a story inside a story. <laughs> have I finished the main story? Have I actually told you the reason why I'm telling you all this sort of rubbish? And have I actually finished why why I'm actually telling you the, why I launched into this uh, pan of uh, of, of um, <laughs> nonsense? Why this digression was relevant at all, and you, or, or do I just come across as a complete fruitcake? <laughs> I keep notes. Uh, I always have a notepad <laughs> better than me, because better than me. I'll come yeah. up with an idea. If I don't write it down, it's instantly it's gone. Absolutely. And all I can see are the vapors. I can't I, actually grab a hold of them. It drives me crazy. Normally, I I have a notebook by my bed. Um, yeah, I I I I'm 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 a great I'm a great fan of writing things down because if you don't, they're gone. So tell me about your relationship with animation and how you decided to pair that with kind of your your education, your speeches and stuff. Oh, I didn't. Um, uh, pure chance. Um, when I was 11, I, I saw a wonderful um, animated film, a half an hour animated film of A Christmas Carol by a man called Richard Williams, who is the god of animation. <laughs> and um, at the time he was working in London, I wrote to him. I wrote him a fan letter, <laughs> and um, and he invited me up to London. He got an Oscar then, so I was right. Um, and uh, uh, and, um, uh, and and we sort of kept in touch. And I, I always wanted to be an animator. And um, uh, I, I had a really tough time with art at school. I had a I, I, I had. Um, uh, a, a, a horrendous art teacher who used to bully me and humiliate me. And I was, I was unfortunately very gifted. Um, so I, so he, he would ask us all to do something and I would have finished it before he'd even finished explaining what we were doing. Um, if it was a drawing, you know, I could draw you in an instant. And what was lovely about being on the circle was I suddenly had the time to get back to drawing and I did a lot of drawing while I was on the circle. And um, so since then, I've I found I've got that uh, capability again. Um, and I, I, I for a short while after the circle, I was doing I was churning out drawings and putting them up on. Instagram yeah, I saw a lot on Instagram. They're um, amazing. I've stopped doing a lot of that because I've got quite busy. Right. Um, reviving animation projects which i've had going for about six years or so i've got one which i'm trying desperately to finish and i just um at the moment it's being interrupted by a thing for the national health service um which isn't paying me so it's a sort of it's a sort of freebie um uh some some whiteboard stuff but 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 uh but but i've got a, i did a um i did a two-part talk which started about seven years ago uh, on the history of the music halls, not the musical, the music halls. So the music halls were these extraordinary popular entertainment centres. And, and, and from the history of the music halls, we get a lot of the legislation that surrounds theatre globally. You know, when you go into a theatre, you find all the seats are screwed onto the floor. 
that's because of the legislation which came up because the music halls were constantly burning down and people in their scurry to get out mm. were being blocked by furniture. So they were being roasted alive um, by the seats that they had originally been sitting on. Right. And, and, and similarly, um, you know, food and drink is now sold in bars outside the main auditorium. That's part, and and um, and the safety curtain falls in the middle of a performance at some point, by law. Um, and one of the last things actually to come out of uh, out of that was um, the development of a union for variety artists, um, which um, in Britain and America is called the Equity Union, and it's now it's now the thing which which, which runs theatre really. Um, and uh, I hate it's got airs and graces, which never originally intended. I mean, it was it was for people who juggled balls, really, um, <clears throat> to give to give them um, uh, to give them protection. And uh, for example, if you go on a reality TV show, you have no union, um, you have no representation. Right. Uh, if you uh, you have no theatre agent, um, and it's very difficult to get these things. And I think somebody who is who is good enough for primetime television should be professionally represented. And I also think they should be professionally paid. I've had this discussion with people about Survivor and apparently Survivor on one or two of its recent series has paid the um, participants. I think, great. And they said, but they're not so good because they don't have this desire for the money pot. Well, I wouldn't have the desire for the money pot anyway. I I don't do greed. Um, But... um, uh, you know, I, I just think it's professional. So, where did the um, where did the idea to do this animation on the music halls actually come from? Like, where's the what sparked that? You think? Um, because I think that's popular entertainment, and I think um, popular entertainment informs us and guides us, and that's what television is. Um, you, you know, you can dress it up and call it Shakespeare. Uh, Shakespeare did, but Shakespeare was just writing the rubbish of his day. <laughs> and today we think this is great literature, but <laughs> you, you, you know, um, and animation, what Disney was producing in the 1930s is great art. And there was a person mm. who saw this right at the time in the 1940s, there was a book by Field uh, called The Art of Walt Disney. And he really put his finger on something. I think Disney has become form- formulaic. Mm-hmm. And I think certainly going into 3D, um, everything looks like Barbie. Um, on speed, but um, I, Rapunzel, Barbie with hair, but uh, it, it, it's you know behind that I think there is there is art, but the the advantage of these drawings that move is that you really see the artistry. It's not real. It's it, it's at a move from reality. It's at a remove from reality. Like 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 the Greek icon. You go all the way back to Plato. So the music hall is all about. Um, the ephemeral, the throwaway, which becomes great art. And, it, and and you're looking at people who have dedicated their life to the minute or the two minutes that they are standing in front of you performing. And I think their, their dedication needs to be saluted. You know, the person who can lie on her back and juggle a juggle sheep or something, you know, or, or, or toss fire in all directions. Mm-hmm. You just think... They do that so effortlessly, and that effortlessness. It make, I, I, I was um, I was working with a fellow the other day who we, 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 we we're working on a song for a, for a piece of animation which will eventually I hope go go somewhere else. 
but the song we chose has got a high G at the end, which is held for about six bars. And I know how it's sung, how it's been sung in the past, and it's big effort. And this person just hits that G with such ease and such comfort. And I just think, oh, my goodness, I can just I can just go to sleep immediately. I mean, narcolepsy is not so far away. Right. And um, <laughs> I think it's just a joy to hear that ease. Now, you go back, I'm, I, as ever, I always come back to Julie Andrews. I always think that Julie Andrews ought to be, if you're going to do a new edition of Stanislavski's book, you know, how to an actor prepares and all that sort of stuff, he's got three. Um, you ought to have Julie Andrews in different positions um, in, on, on each front cover because she is a consummate professional. She is what our business should be. Um, yes, I know there are great Shakespearean actors, but Julie Andrews just does the lot. Um, and she has this wonderful thing which she, she talks about in, I think, her first memoir, Home. Um, and, uh, and she got it from somewhere else, so she attributes this to somebody else. It's just the charm of the lady. She says, um, the difference between an amateur and a professional, what is the difference? The difference is very simple. An amateur rehearses until they get it right. And a professional rehearses until they cannot get it wrong. Hmm. And you just think then to your fire juggler and your lady with the balls um, and, uh, and, and a person juggling knives and the lion tamer. And you think, yeah, that's it. And night after night, you go in and you sing the same song and you hit that high G. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, and, and when you're performing on stage and you've done sort of uh, just over a month, I think, in my experience, the first week you're terrified about forgetting your lines. The second week you're coasting. The third week you start experimenting. And the fourth week, suddenly something comes over you and you're just there. And you realize that you are the one person in the theater who probably is not absolutely engaged in the story that you are telling. You could be thinking about almost anything and it's become part of your body language. And you can go in and out of it. And it's that point, it's that point of professionalism where you are the person who is actually in control. So much in control that you can move away from it because You've rehearsed so well that it is part of your being. It's like walking. When we, when we are walking, and this is like animation, walking is the hardest thing we ever do in our lives. That's why children fall over and cry so much. It's the hardest thing to do, um, unless you have COVID and you have to learn how to breathe again, I suppose. Mm. But, um, but otherwise, walking is really the hardest thing we do as human beings. And, um, and yet... Most of the time, people don't take me to one side and say, oh, my God, Tim, I love the way you walked. <laughs> they tend not to do that to me, in my experience. Um, sometimes they criticise the way I walk, <laughs> but they don't congratulate me on this incredibly difficult feat. And this is what happens when you've, when you've rehearsed enough. It becomes so easy that you just do it. And you don't think about it. Other people don't think about it. And you don't need a lot of fireworks, but you are doing something amazing. Something I've heard is that and, um, whenever you're in the middle of something like that, you fall back on your greatest level of practice. Right? It's like the thing that you've practiced and practiced. And when your brain turns off, you fall back to that level. And so yeah. when you were talking about once you get to that fourth week where you're performing, but you're 
uh, you're like very aware of what you're doing. That makes me think of like lucid dreaming, right? Where you're, you realize you're oh, yeah. in a dream and you can control it. So <clears throat> it makes me wonder, okay, okay, of course. do you, do you think you get greater satisfaction when you're on the stage, you're performing and yet you're able to actually look at your audience and, um, see how you're affecting them? Do you? Yeah, I think, I, I, I think, I think it's possible. Of course, the danger is when you start looking at yourself. Is you do oh aren't I brilliant and then you and then and then you're like the lady who's walking down the, down down the street and the uh, and the heel goes in the cobbles and sort of uh, <laughs> topples over <laughs> and then inevitably she's going to get up going, well I know I do anyway inevitably when I walked into a lamppost I get up and I say I'm all right as if anybody cares <laughs> um, you know <laughs> I love <clears throat> that 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 moment is you you've really got to be careful of that because it's a it's a killer yeah. absolute killer so I've um... And I'm trying to kind of walk through the world occasionally um, through my emotions to sort of like feel my way through. I, this is neither here nor there, but at an early age, I learned to turn that stuff off. And so as an adult, I'm learning to turn it back on. And it's interesting to kind of yeah. navigate my way through that. And so I've done well, a couple of weddings. Like I've married people a few times. And very good. the last time I did it, when I was up on stage... I don't know. I got, I think what like Americans call it, we, I got into the zone where yes. it just felt like I was riding a wave and I would get to a funny part and everybody would just laugh. And then I would bring it to a more emotional side and I could actually see people in the crowd cry. And then, you know, you bring yep. it all home with a crescendo and make them all laughing. And but just... you have to be, you have to be really careful that you don't divorce yourself from the reality. Yes. This is a problem. And, and you so, so I think when you're performing, that fourth week is very dangerous because you want to keep bringing yourself back into the reality. It's not you performing. It's Henry the, the Eighth character. or Henry yeah. the Fourth or it's a character. You are the character. You have to keep telling yourself this. Otherwise, the character will just be, it is, and it's just it is you sort of being self-indulgent. We're, we're back to Genesis 38. <laughs> um, and um, you know, we don't want to make one of those films. <laughs> but I think, I guess, um, I guess in that instance, it was just me. So... I don't know. I guess it was okay. In that instance, it was probably okay. But there was, I don't know. I found this, and I've hit that a few times in my life, but it's only in these performative settings where I can say something, do something, and I can evoke real emotion in other people. And that was powerful in a way that I had never anticipated it. And it it satisfied me in a way that I had never expected it to. You have charisma. And uh, and charisma is simply is simply an, a, another version of spirit, grace. It's a, whatever you want to call it. And um, and and then let's, let's go to a Latin word. Charisma is Greek. Go to a Latin word, um, spiro. And inspiro. This is the word to inspire. And literally, that is what you're doing. So if you have charisma, you are inspiring. You are people are breathing in. To spirit, spirit is to breathe and breathe in, and other people are breathing in your spirit. That's incredibly bewitching. the The point is that you have that that has to be a mutual experience. It can't just be constantly giving. So you, you you you've got to breathe in as well. You've got to be inspired by their response. Mm. Otherwise, it's otherwise it's a dead experience, and it's really it, it's a really exhausting experience. Um, so. Uh, uh, and, and I think this is where sort of emotional, um, what is it? It, 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 it uh, emotional intelligence comes from. 
emotional intelligence is uh, it is a clever way of basically talking about um, communication and awareness uh, on a non on a non vocal on a non um, yeah on a non vocal mm. level and um, I think I think that's what one that's what one aims for. Mm. Um, Every time I have one of these, and I think it, I, I think it helps when you have, I think it helps when you have small children. <laughs> I think it helps when you have small animals or big animals because um, your communication has to be uh, non-verbal, or your verbal communication is limited, and so you find a better way. There is a better way. Better way, yeah. You know, whenever I have these conversations, I hope for one thing, and that's to pick up something that I can carry with me. I've learned that over time, I am just an amalgamation of things I've heard, right? Little witticisms or whatever. And the idea of inspiration, of breathing in, that was so visceral to me. Like, I think I, I got chills when you said that. Just <laughs> just the imagery of of yeah. breathing in somebody's spirit, I, that that is amazing. Yeah. That is something I'm going to carry with me the rest of my life. That is, um, that's phenomenal. I love that. Well, and, and, then, and then you say inspiration is all about art. Art is linked to inspiration. Well, yeah, dissect that word. Inspiration is just breathing. So suddenly you've made that very simplistic. You know, art is breathing. And great, um, great theatre is breathing. Great art is breathing. It's just being. It's just being. And if so, so when you when you come to the sort of reality TV. And I'm very critical about it, by the way. I'm critical enough. I'm critical enough to have made enemies. I think. Um, <laughs> never, never in your and, life. Uh, oh, absolutely, believe me. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh my God, we're, we're, we're caught up in the dressing gown. Uh, yep. No, no, it's called a claw. It's called a claw. Uh, some people call it a talon. Um, uh, right, claw. Uh, there we are. Um, so, uh, reality TV. What is it actually doing? It's not real, as we know. Yeah, yeah. We can, we can throw that one away immediately. This is a misnomer. Um, but it's like a it's like a really good um, drama. And when you and when you've got a really good drama, when you've got a um, you know when you've got an episode of Dynasty and Joan Collins is doing her bit, um, and she, you've got to, you've got to wheel these out every every week. So you get the best talent, and the best talent is somebody who can perform and learn their lines and deliver on cue, ideally first take, because you don't want to waste too much time. Um, so how do you do this? You've got your script and you have to learn it and learn it and learn it and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse until it becomes real. That's one way of doing it. So what you're looking for is a level of reality and performance, which most people find really difficult to get. When most people read a text, it sounds wooden. When Joan Collins reads a text, you just want to, you just want to close your eyes and and, and drift into honey. Um, it's um, it, 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 it's a joy. Now the other way of doing this is is is, is like when you do a recording. I did. I, I spent a lot of time when I was living in Greece doing recordings for um, talking books and teaching people how to how to do English. And they would say to me the night before, would you like us to send you the script? I said, for God's sake, no. What's the point of that? It's just paper. I'd much prefer to go into the studio and see it for the first time. Would you like to rehearse? No, 
turn the turn the turn the microphones on and record because you might you might get something you can use first time round. And that first time that you do it, you may make a mistake, mm -hmm. but you're going to have a life to it that you're never going to be able to recapture again mm. until you've learned it. So, what reality TV has done is to find a cast, a company, people like me, um, who they think will deliver the goods, put them in an environment where they are likely to say certain things mm -hmm. and to create that drama. Mm -hmm. And then you, as a good director or a good producer, you control that. So I would say, for the most part, most reality TV has already got a script. They know where they're going. I may not, but they do. For sure. Um, and uh, uh, if they don't, they have the ability to make drama out of what they see, which is harder. So you've got those two, those two sides. Number one, you follow a script. Number two, you make drama out of what is already there, in which case you have to look at a lot of footage. But in both cases, the dramatic storytelling is taken away from the actor and is put in the hands of the editor. But the actor is doing the same thing that they would do if they'd sat, if they'd sat down for two or three weeks and learnt their lines. Mm. It's just all that hard work is being moved from the actor to the editor. Mm. And that is reality TV. And it's got nothing to do with trying to, trying to win a prize. That's a different, that's a different job. That's called a competition. Now, many reality TVs want a formula in order to tell their drama story. So they do it through the form of a competition. You know, they might they might be doing it as a detective fiction. It's the same sort of thing. Um, what, what what Alfred Hitchcock would have called the MacGuffin. What are you looking for? I'm looking for the hundred thousand pound prize, or I'm looking for the for the I'm looking for the million dollars. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry about the accent. No, that's um, pretty amazing American. I like it. Is it? No. <laughs> like a nineteen twenties gangster? I, Is that what you're going yeah, for? Yeah, when I when I when I try an American <laughs> accent, I always tend to go back into the nineteen twenties and I think, Oh my god, Tim, stop it. Stop it. You're either going into the nineteen twenties or you're you're going to be banging on a banging on a soapbox like Elmer Gantry or something and uh <laughs> Bert Lancaster, eat your heart out. Um uh yeah, but so I, I, I wish I could do a I wish I could do the sort of soft um you know television American there's a Boston accent which um, Robert Williams had and then I could do a sort of complete I can I could do the complete film I could do the oh no dear Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> and then I could do I, 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 I could I could do the I, I could do the man part as well but I I, I I just need some help with that you know there's a musical of Mrs. Doubtfire I did not yeah it was one of the things which was uh, killed off by COVID mm. um, not not terribly good music but but you know if um if somebody presented that to me I would think seriously about removing the beard and uh, <laughs> oh it's just a hot flush dear um, <laughs> <laughs> all right Tim well if you wanted folks to interact you interact with you rather out on the internet how would you how would you have them do that what's your preferred method oh Instagram is very good um doesn't earn me any money but it's it's so easy to access. And uh, and the best way of doing that is um, Professor underscore Tim underscore Wilson, and Twitter. I'm learning how to twit, tweet. There you are. Yeah, there we are. I'm learning how to tweet. I've been on Twitter for a little bit longer, actually, um, because I started. So I, I did some political stuff, and I set up Twitter for that. Um, 
uh, and that's prof underscore Tim underscore Wilson. And then uh, I've got a blog, which is animate-tim.com, um, where, where you get some serious stuff um, and some drawings. They, they come together. And um, uh, what else? There, there, there's a website called zontalfilmslimited.com. Um, or is it Zontal Films? I think it's zontalfilms.com. Okay. Uh, Zontal is my partner's name. It's Z-O-N, you'd say Z-O-N-T-U-L-F-I-L-M-S. And um, uh, Zontal is a, is a southern Turkish name, so um, uh, and it comes from Syriac, ancient Syriac. It means high mountain. So Jesus, who would have spoken a form of ancient Syriac, which we call Aramaic, would have said, come on, mates, let's go up the mountain. And then there would be a transfiguration of various other wonderful things. <laughs> you know? so, um, so he would have all, they would have all been using my partner's name, which I find rather entertaining. Um, and um, so Zontal Films. Um, and Zontal and, Films, you um, also do that on YouTube, right? Yeah, so 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 on YouTube, on YouTube you look up Zontul Film as Z O N T U L M F C Z O N T U L F I L M S L T D Limited, um, and 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 you find you find that on um, YouTube, and uh, YouTube is the preferred thing because uh, if I, I like increasing my numbers on YouTube, um, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's quite nice to increase the numbers on instagram but it doesn't have much financial reward excellent well again tim thank, Sorry, thank and, you and, 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 and people should tell me on instagram and on youtube particularly what they want me to talk about and i'll talk about it I, I press, you've been pressing going. people to to send you more uh more things to talk about i love that so um yeah happily i i, I talk <laughs> about the um the, the uh, uh carburettors if you, if, if you i know nothing i don't know how to uh. drive I, 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 was, I was a wizard on a Massey Ferguson tractor when I was little. About the age of five, I ploughed a very straight line. Um, but, uh, but I didn't know how to switch off, Good. so I had to have somebody to switch my... To, 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 put, to make my tractor stop. That, that's not a flex I hear from a lot of people. I can I can uh, hoe a straight line in a tractor. That's uh, it's pretty impressive. You should put that on the, uh, the LinkedIn. <laughs> Add that to the resume. I, I, I think if I was talking about hoeing, I think I would get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Tim, well, thank you, and thanks to all the listeners, and um, we'll see you guys next time.